Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're in Galatians chapter 5 today. If you turn in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack probably in front of you that you could use. Follow along with us. We're in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, last week, we, we talked about a passage in Matthew where we had an invitation from Jesus to, to us that we would come and find rest in Christ, that he would be our refuge, a source of strength, that he would, he would be our hope, he would be our joy, that it would all rest in Jesus. Um, and, and it was a rest that we'd find from the weariness of our sin and the burdens of life. And that we, we talked about this, this deep burden that we all face. We face these deep burdens in life that uh, and God calls us to rest in him and find joy and hope in him. And, and as, I, as I talked about that, it was it's important for us to understand that, that that rest that we find in him is that rest from the weight of sin that we carry. You see, in life, what, what we, we talked about, this is what we do. We take the sin of life, the weight of the world, the problems that we find in our life, and we place them on our shoulders. And we try to carry them around on our own. And what we say basically is this, God, I don't need your help. Let me take care of it on my own. I, I know you have better things to do than worry about what's going on in my life. And, and we even take it to the extreme, a lot of people take it to the extreme, where Jesus offers us an invitation, inviting him to us, to him rather, us to him, and we, he invites us, and people say, you know what, no, I'm going to reject that invite. I mean, what Jesus wants to do is take away that, that sin and that burden that's on our shoulders so that you and I can live freely knowing the Savior. That we know that he died, and when he died on the cross, he took the weight of that sin upon himself so we wouldn't have to. Amen? While we couldn't carry the, the burden, burdensome load of sin, Jesus could, and Jesus did. And so many of us, at times in our life, have said, no, that's okay, Jesus, I'll keep carrying it myself. And what we should begin to, to form in our lives is something we call works righteousness. And what that is, is a righteousness we're trying to achieve, a perfection we're trying to achieve, based on the good works or the, or the amount of load that I can carry, the tasks that I can handle on my own. We're basically saying, Jesus, I will figure it out. Don't worry about it, I'll get there. But what Jesus continually says, come to me and drop that, that heavy burden on me because you can't carry it, but I can. And then when we put that, that sin and that burden on our Savior, he takes it and frees us from the weight of having to, to perform and be perfect. He says, I'll take care of you now. And that burden is then released. And, and you and I have the opportunity and ability to find joy and hope and assurance in Christ alone because he did all the work necessary to, heavy, to carry any heavy burden that we have on our shoulders. Amen? So we talked about that last week. There's an invitation that Christ is, is pleading that we would come to him, those that are weary and heavy burdened, and we would find rest for our souls in Christ. And then in turn, he would place on us his burden that is easy and his yoke that is light. And that is the burden of faithfully trusting and obeying in Jesus Christ. That we would just proceed forward doing what he has set up for us to do, and finding freedom in that. You know, I, I, last week we had baptisms for the first service and the second service. A great opportunity to, to worship Jesus, to point to him. 
And I mentioned it, and I used it as an example in my sermon of obedience and the freedom of, of obedience. You know, sometimes this burden that, we, that God places on us, that Jesus says, here's my burden, Here, here's my yoke upon you, it's easy and it's light. And what it is is to trust and obey him. And one of the things I used last week as an illustration was baptism. He's asked us to obey him and to follow him and be baptized once we have trusted him as Savior. That we would make an internal decision to trust and follow and believe in Jesus Christ. And then we'd make an outward profession, a public profession of our faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ through baptism. And for many years, I, I, I use my story, for many years I walked in disobedience and still carried around the burden of disobedience with me. And, and see, we're like that. Sometimes we get scared and I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go there, God. Give me something else to do. And we start carrying around a burden again that he said, I, wanna, I want my burden on you to be easy and light. I never intended for your, your disobedience to be the burden. I intended obedience to be the burden. And it's light. And here's how that works. For years, we carry around this guilt of not obeying God, of not following what he says we should do. And then finally one day, we get our act together, we humble ourselves, and we give it over to God and say, God, you win. I'm trusting you with this, I'm obeying you in this, whether it's baptism or something else. And the minute we obey, what happens? We're freed from the burden of disobedience. And that's why Jesus' his, his burden and his yoke is easy and light for us. He said it's, it's freeing just to follow and do what I've asked because I made you. I wired you up. I know how you tick, and, and I know what's best for you. You're my creation. You're my children. And we have to really think of it that way, don't we, as children to a father. How many of you parents know really what's best for your children? We know, right? We've been there. We may not see the future and know exactly which path they should take, but we know you shouldn't touch a hot stove. We know what's best. And the burden that you'll carry touching in that hot stove will last a long time and hurt. But the freedom from just don't touch it, we know what's best, gives you freedom that you don't even know, know you had, right? And there's a joy there in that protection and safety of what God has set up. So we find rest in Christ. And, and for you that have been carrying around this, this load of works righteousness, this, this load of I need to perform and to do and to behave and to, to look a certain way, repent of that. Throw that self-exaltation aside and believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, that he would carry your load, that he would wash your sins clean. While, because while you were a helpless sinner, and while I was a helpless sinner, Christ died for us to make us right with God, to give us an opportunity for forgiveness. We place that burden on him. So once we find that rest in Christ, that joy in Christ, Next, there's, there was a missing part. And after last week's sermon, I really was feeling, even Sunday afternoon, I felt there's something more to this. We need to keep going here. Yes, Jesus has invited us to, to place the heavy, heavy load and burden that's on our heart on him and find rest, and that we should wrestle for that rest. But more than that, as we come together as the family of God, as those who have believed in Christ and received the Son Jesus for forgiveness of sin, as we, as we gather together, there is a life to be lived shoulder to shoulder still, where you and I are to bear one another's burdens. That you and I are to be able to, to look and see, how are you doing? How am I doing? And today we're going to look at how we are to bear one another's burdens as we live shoulder to shoulder together. Okay? So we're in Galatians chapter 5. 
I'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Father, we, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you that you are a merciful, gracious God who gave us a light burden and an easy yoke when you gave us Jesus on the cross. Father, may we walk in that freedom as we believe in Jesus Christ. Give us rest for our souls. Give us joy for our mornings. Give us hope for a future with you. And God, today as we look at your word, we ask that you would be in our midst convicting us of sin and convincing us of the truth of the text. That God, this is your word, God breathed, living and active. Challenge us and change us. Renew our minds, renew our hearts. Conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus, and it's in his precious and glorious name we pray. Amen. So we're in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. And I, I got to say, I, st- I started this, I'm like, oh yeah, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 6. But to set this up, we really had to go back a little more. Because it seems a little dark and a little, a little just uh, sharp if we just read 1 through 5 here. So uh, how do we bear each other's burdens? That's the question. How do we bear one another's burdens? Well, first thing to do, number one, it says humble yourself. Right, humble yourself. So let's look at verses 22 through uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul is writing to the Galatians. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In verse 1 it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. We'll stop there and we'll talk about this humility we are to have. We're to have a humility in Christ. And the reason we went back to, to verse 22 is, is we find this hope in Jesus, right? We find this, this hope from our burden and this hope from the burden of sin and this eraser, eraser of, of sin and, and sin nature. But there's, there's this always going to be this conflict, this side of heaven, between my old self, my old desires of the flesh, and my new self with the Spirit of God living in me. Paul says that they battle against each other. So you and I are to humble ourselves and submit to the Spirit of God. See, what happens when we, when we rest in the joy that is in Christ and we, we become a new person. The old person is gone and behold, all things have become new. Jesus makes us new. And, and when we have trusted in, in Jesus Christ, we received him as Savior. He's promised that his Holy Spirit would come inside every believer and that his Holy Spirit would begin to produce a work inside of us by the power of his Spirit. So it's not in me, right? We, we came to Jesus emptying ourselves of us. Then he filled us with him and began a work inside of us that was still not of us. It was of Jesus. There's a central theme, right? It's Jesus. There's no other name. The, the power is in the name of Jesus. So what he's doing inside of us is a work by the power of his spirit. And our job is, is to submit to his spirit as he builds in us a strength that will show outwardly through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, that list we read. It will show outwardly a legitimacy to our faith to those around us. See, Jesus changes everything. And what he changes inside should be exhibited outwardly to people around us. How? Well, 
as we produce a fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. We shouldn't have provoking or envying, right? It should be more like gentleness and love and joy and peace, the, the fruit of the Spirit that's there. See, I want more of those things in my life. I want to humbly submit more and more to Jesus so he can produce a bigger and better fruit in me and through my life. And see, he's in the business of restoring relationships. Jesus first restored a relationship between me and, and God through the cross because of my sin. Right? Remember, if we go way back in, in time, in history, we see the creation of the world in Adam and Eve, how they had a perfect relationship with Jesus, with God in the garden. And that relationship was broken when they broke the one rule. They only had one rule to break and they broke it. And that fellowship, that relationship with God was also severed. And God has been working since that time to provide a way that that relationship could be restored and renewed. That he would reconcile or fix that relationship that was broken. And he did it through the promise of the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. And, and the Old Testament looked forward to the coming Messiah and in faith believed that he would come and redeem and restore. You and I get the opportunity to look backwards to the cross at the Messiah and know that he is still in the business of restoring relationships, our, namely our relationship to the Father. But there's more restoration that comes that as he produces a fruit inside of us, you and I become agents or ministers of this restoration or reconciliation, Scripture says. That you and I are ambassadors and ministers helping each other be reconciled to God. That you and I would be in the business of relationship restoration. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is going to be doing in us. So we, we must live by the Spirit and we must live in humility if we're going to restore and help restore relationships around us. Romans 15.1 says this, it says, now we who are strong, and I want us to understand that strength thing. You and I on our own are what? We are weak. But when we are weak and submissive to God, then he is strong and able to be our strength. And, and he produces in us a strength from the power of his spirit through the fruit of the spirit. So now when we who are strong, that means we are submissive, humble before God, and only, only been given strength by the power of his spirit, have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, those who are weaker, those who haven't been submissive to the Spirit, those to whom the fruit of the Spirit is not being produced because of sin in their life or disobedience or a burden or a distraction. So we, we are there to, to bear, one, bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Right? There's no agenda there. There's no, I want to look better. I want to have an ego. I want to make sure you know that, that I'm better than you are. Or I want, to, I want to take advantage of the situation. There's none of that. Instead, in verse 6, it jumps down in 15.6. It says this. We do so so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with, an, with a united mind and voice. So you and I are workers working for joy, working to passionately restore relationships around us, back to the Father and back with each other. So that God would be glorified and God's people, God's children would be united in that glorification of him. That you and I wouldn't be divided and on a different page. That we would together be working for the cause of Christ, for the glory of God. We want to be a united front in the cause of lifting up Jesus. And if we want to do that, we must throw off ourself. Throw off our pride. We must humble ourselves in order to bear one another's burdens we must first examine ourselves so that we would approach our brother and sister with a spirit of gentleness, with a strength that comes only from God's spirit 
and the fruit he's producing in us. Humble yourself. Number two, how do you bear one another's another's, uh, burdens? You keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. And I wrote down, keep your eyes open to the needs around you. Let's continue in our text in verse 2, and it's just 2a, the first part of 2. If we, by the way, if you ever see that in, in my notes or in, in, a, in a verse that says a reference that has an A next to it or a B, basically, and sometimes it's C and D, if a verse is long and kind of two parts to it, you can kind of cut it up. If there's a comma or a colon, it, that's what it means. So A is reading the first part up to, uh, in this case, the colon or semicolon. It says, carry one another's burdens. That's 6 to A. And I almost skipped over this and just combined it with all of six and, and made it its own point differently. But, but I was really convinced about this and convicted that, that too, just carry one another's burdens should be a point. And the point of it is keep your eyes open. We have to look around us. We have to be able to see what's going on around us in order to meet needs around us. Amen. You have to open your eyes. You know, last week I talked about uh, my horses and I gave some horse analogies. And, and you all know that I'm just the biggest horse whisperer in the world, right? I, I totally know horses inside and out. Not at all. They're big, scary creatures, right? <laughs> but, but one of the analogies I'll bring back in is, is blinders, right? When you see horses in parades, uh, sometimes they'll put blinders on the side of the eyes of horses. And, and it's, it's for a purpose. They do it so that they don't get distracted by all the little kids on the side of the parade who are running up for candy. They need to keep the horse focused and free of distraction. Now, that's important and a good lesson. You and I should at times be free of the distraction around us, maybe put some blinders on so we can focus on what's ahead of us. But the analogy I want to use today is this. Some of us just put horse blinders on, not to free us from distraction, but to keep us from seeing the needs around us. We don't want to see the needs around us. We don't want to respond to the needs around us. I want to come in, be about my business, do my thing, and get out. Let me be. And we, we wear blinders. If you and I are to take the law of Christ seriously, which we'll see in a minute, if we're to take the command of Christ seriously to bear one another's burdens, we have to take the blinders off. We have to look around at what's going on around us and respond to the needs that we see. And I think there are two types of people here, by the way. There are the people who, who put on blinders. They, maybe they, they want to come to church a little late and leave a little early. They want to get out. They don't want to talk and mingle. It's hard to be exposed. It's hard to be vulnerable. Some of us just aren't people people. That's okay. I get that. But we have to be able to see the needs. Listen, this is not a performance. This is not the, the pastor show where you come in and watch something and, and then you leave. Oh, yes, this was for me. Otherwise, I'd be selling tickets at the door. Right? We aren't doing that. We are the family of God. We are a family that's here. And we benefit from one another. And as we bear each other's burdens, more joy increases and the glory of God increases. And we want to have that seen. We want people to see and know Jesus because of the joy that we have and God's glory is revealed as we bear one another's burdens. We can't do that if we don't look around. You think about a family reunion. It's really hard to go to a family reunion late and leave early and still, get, still escape Aunt so-and-so coming over and grabbing your cheek, right, and giving you a kiss on the, like, you know, like, that's going to happen. We put up with that because we're a family. We're supposed to be a family. And in order to bear one another's burdens, we have to be ready to see and respond to the needs around us. So there's one type of people that we could be is the blinders, right? I, I don't want to see what's going on. I don't want to know 
don't ask, don't tell, I'm out of here, okay? The other side are the, are the, the dirt finders. They're the ones, that, and I'm not going to point fingers out or anybody. They're the ones that come in. Maybe they sit in a place that they could see everybody. And all, what they're doing, Satan's distracting the whole, whole time. And Satan's pointing out the flaws in every person. Do you see what they're wearing today? <laughs> I can't believe they came in with that. Oh, that person's at church. Oh, wow, that's amazing. It's going to burn down pretty quick. <laughs> right? But they become the dirt finders. So there's the blinders that, oh, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. And then there's the dirt finders. You want to find fault in everything. And here's what it's doing. Satan is distracting you from being convinced and convicted from the word of God. And what he's doing is puffing up pride inside of you saying, you're better than everybody else. No one compares to you how great you are. This is a worship service centered on Jesus Christ, not on you. So we can neither be blind to the need that's going on around here because we need to carry each other's burdens, nor can we be dirt finders who are looking for all the dirt on everybody so we feel better about ourselves. We should feel equally morally bankrupt about every one of us because we're in the presence of God Almighty worshiping the Lamb who was slain for us, who was slain for that dirt. And as a family of God, we're in the same boat on the same team for the glory of God and we should be about the joy of God as well. Bearing each other's burdens. It's an important thing to do for us. We have to humble ourselves, right? We have to be ready to, to see what God would, would show us through the fruit he produces. And then we have to open our eyes to the needs that are around us. Pay attention. And this is not a, a picture of, of nosiness as we pay attention to people, right? This is not for gossip's sake. We're not, we're not here to watch and then grumble and gossip and then do nothing. It's a picture, right, in humility, it's a picture of our heart being on alert. And when we see a need or a seed of temptation from the enemy, we respond to that. We respond to that. Willingly battling for joy in that person's life. We don't just need to be a dirt finder, right? When you see dirt, go get a vacuum and let's clean it up. My son is learning this at an early age. It's great. He, he, he loves vacuums. He loves vacuums. We have our main vacuum for our house and, you know, bends at the neck and kind of he goes around. And lately he's wanted his mom to turn it on. Like, turn it on. And, he, and we turn it on and let him go about his business. And uh, Legos and everything else get caught up in there. But it happens, right? But, but then we're getting rid of some, some things and, and one of the things we were getting rid of was a, was a dirt devil dust buster, right? And it kind of hooks on the wall and into a charger and it plugs in. And he loves it because it's his size. He can carry it around. It's not going to bonk him in the head, although he got pretty good with that big one. So now it, he takes that off, off the charger uh, from the counter. And we keep it on the counter on the charger because he uses it probably three times a day. We have to continually let it get charged. He uses it as, as so long that it runs out of battery, okay, and we have to recharge it. But, but it's, it's great because he and his sister kind of make a mess in the kitchen sometimes, right? They're eating at the counter on their stools, and they drop rice or their little piece of cheese or hot dog or whatever it is. And my son is just a dirt finder. He is a dirt finder, but we can all learn something from him. He doesn't just look at it and take notes. He cleans it up. Is he for hire? No. <laughs> he cleans it up. Sometimes he'll take a little hot dog and eat it before he cleans it up, right? <laughs> but he takes care of it. 
He takes care of it. All the little chips, and all, it's all gone. So we ought to be like that. If we see dirt, we respond and help the situation. It's for restoration's sake. Right? That's, that's part of what we need to do. I, I want you to turn in your Bible. Keep your finger here. Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, more towards the end of the Bible. <clears throat> After Hebrews and James, it's 1 Peter. Look at chapter 5, and I want us to see the seriousness of purpose that we ought to have. Uh, beginning in verse 8. So 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, be serious or be sober. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers in the world. We are all going through temptations. We're all going through Satan trying to tempt us into something we ought not be doing that will rob us of our joy. What Peter is saying is that we ought to be alert to this. Basically saying, be watchful. Look around. Stop putting the blinders on, but look around and see what he's going to be doing. And if you're looking too far and getting pride in your life, you're not looking at what he's doing to you, right? It's to all of us. Satan's trying to be here. And, and I want to look at what uh, Satan does. Just so we know it's an attribute of the enemy. Satan's job is to roar around and what? Devour. If you and I begin devouring one another, that is an attribute of the enemy and we have fallen into his hands. That is not how we treat one another. We do not devour. But with seriousness of purpose, we are alert and watchful. And, and, and with that seriousness of purpose, we help our brothers and sisters resist him, resist the lies of the enemy and stand firm in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the joy and hope we have in Jesus Christ. After all, it's only in Christ that we find rest. And like I said, like I said last week, we must wrestle against what destroys our rest in Christ. We must wrestle against that. And in doing this, you and I are helping our brothers and sisters wrestle as well. And that leads us to the next point, number three. Wrestle in love for joy. We ought to wrestle in love for joy. Back to Galatians, if you would. We'll read the, the rest of verse 2, 2b. It says, carry one another's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is a, a, an interesting thing, the law of Christ. So of all the rules, of all the laws, of what we ought to be following, what do we do? Well, we're to carry one another's burdens. Well, let's look a little more at what this looks like. Uh, John 13, 34, you don't have to turn there. It says, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You and I are to have this love for one another, right, that the world looks in and says, wow, look how they love. Not look how they don't pay attention, look how they devour and bite and chew at each other. No, they look in and say, look how they love. Why? We can only love because Christ first loved us. In Romans 13, 8, it says this, We are not to owe anyone anything. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Christ gave everything for us. And what we owe is the fulfillment of the law is to love one another. Listen, I owe it to God to love you. And you owe it to God to love me. We owe it to God to love each other. 
And that is the fulfillment of the law. Paul goes into, into this in depth a little more in 2 Corinthians. He talks about this labor, this wrestling. He says to the Corinthian church, he says, I don't mean that we have control of your faith. He's like, I'm not trying to, to badger you. I'm not trying to come down hard on you. Although Paul was, and if you look at the Corinthian letters, he was coming down pretty hard. But he was doing it in a spirit of gentleness and in love, trying to correct errors that were going on. And what he said is this, I don't mean to have control over your faith. This is your faith. God's guiding you and directing you. But we are workers with you. For your joy, because you stand by faith. So those of us that stand by faith ought to have people coming alongside of us that are workers, wrestlers in love for our joy. Not only our individual joy, but our mutual joy, that we'd have joy and hope for the glory of God. Wrestling together. And it's not that we take a list, make make a list, make a note, give you a card that says what's wrong in your life. Like, here's all the things that are defective in your life. Go and fix them, figure it out, and come back. That's not what we do with one another. We work, we wrestle on those things together. We wrestle for joy in a loving way. We are to be workers with each other, shoulder to shoulder, for joy. Finally, number four, how do we bear each other's burdens? Well, we don't measure ourselves against others. We don't measure ourselves against others. I want you to notice that Listen, we all have dirt. We don't have to have that blatantly pointed out all the time, like here's the spotlight, you're messed up. We all have dirt. We all have baggage. This text, I need you to understand, is mostly talking to the person or people, to the family of God, the workers who will come alongside somebody that has dirt. Somebody that has dirt that's, that's paralyzing them. This is for you and I who would, who would want to help and restore relationship with somebody else with God. This is a caution to us that we would not measure ourselves against others. Let's look at the text in, in, back in Galatians, chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he's deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. I want to explain this because it sounds like it's a little contra- contradictory here. Okay, and we'll look at verse 14 in a minute. But, but I, I, it seems to me that verse 3 is a continuation of verse 1. And Paul kind of spastically threw in, and not, not irreverently spastically, but just kind of in a weird place it was there that we are to carry one another's burdens and that fulfills the law of Christ. Right, it's others focused. But l- let's look at verse 1, the end of verse 1, and read into verse 3, Okay. In the end of verse 1, it says, we're going to restore a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he's deceiving himself. Listen, a lot of people would say that this scripture says, "Don't be careful when you go confront somebody in sin. Be careful because you might just fall in the same way they're falling. Now, that, I think there's some truth to that. Okay, I think we need to be careful of that and watch out for that. I do not think that's the heart of the text here today. Here's what I think the heart of the text is. It says, in the end of verse 1, it says, so that you, watch yourself, so you won't be tempted. In verse 3, it says, for if anyone considers himself something, right, and he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. Here's what it's saying, that be careful when you approach a brother or sister 
who is hurting, has a burden of sin in their life, be careful, not because you're going to fall into that sin, but because you will start to compare yourself to them and you'll feel more and more good about yourself. Your ego will be impressed. And you, I don't even need God. I'm so superior to everybody around me. And that is called pride. And pride is sin. The temptation that, that is there from Satan is that you are so much more superior than the person that's sitting next to you. That's what Satan would say. What Jesus says is you're all equally morally bankrupt without me. And you are to have each other's back in gentleness and respect. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got your back. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I've got your back. Okay? We've got to have each other's back. And sometimes that means for unpleasant conversations, but we do it out of love and gentleness and respect, but we don't measure ourselves against another person. This runs together and this makes us puff up with pride and we should do everything we can not to puff up with pride because of another person's fall. We are not above or beyond those kind of falls, right? Not at all. You know, there's been times in our, in our church and other churches where key leadership, and, and especially for me as I was growing and being mentored in, in pastoral leadership, you know, you kind of get this thing like, I'm a pastor, I, you know, I'm, I'm good, I, I'm, I've got things squared away. And I do not. Right? I, am not, I, I am following a call that Jesus has placed on my life, but I am an imperfect man. And we are a family of God to, to rub shoulders and to, to encourage one another as the family of God to, to be more and more like Jesus the Son. And one of the things that, that I learned as I, as I grew in that, and Stan and I talked a lot about this, was we are not beyond the fall. We are not beyond falling hard. In fact, what does Proverbs tell us? That what comes before the fall? Pride comes before that. The minute we think that we're something, we are actually nothing and everything can be taken away from us. That's why we're being sober-minded. That's why we think of ourselves not more highly than we ought to. That's why we humble ourselves and say, man, you know what? It can happen to the best of us. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's work this out. I am not going to compare myself with you and, and puff myself up. I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Uh, it's, it's before Galatians a little bit. You have Matthew, Mark. Then Luke and John, Luke chapter 18. I want to read a parable to you that Jesus presented that really helps us zero in on what is important here. I think this, this is the heart of what Paul is talking about in Galatians as well in verses 3 through 5. So we're in Luke chapter 18 beginning at verse 9 together. It said, He, that is Jesus, also told this parable... To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Oh, how great you are. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but the, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's so important for us not to compare ourselves to others because we are all equally corrupt. Apart from the living grace of Jesus Christ, we amount to a moral zero. Romans chapter 7 says this, uh, it says that in, in me dwells no good thing. That nothing in me is there that is anything good. See, we need to have this right perspective that we are fighting for joy in each other and for the glory of God. And we can't squabble about how good we are or how inadequate we feel. We must courageously wrestle, fight and struggle against pride and for joy. And they're just like the blinders versus the, the dirt watchers, right? There, there are kind of two types of pride that can be asserted. We see the Pharisee who says, I've got it all together. I'm comparing myself to that person and I am a saint. They would do well to have me in their life. Look at me. That's pride, that's sin. But there is a, a timid pride that is sometimes like overlooked. It's that pride that says, and I, I'm so bad, I, I can't talk to that person. I, I can't, I just, I don't have the qualifications. I don't, I'm in, inadequate. I can't do it. I'm afraid to confront or to talk or to pray with that person about their struggle, about what's going on in life. I'm afraid. And that fear is the same pride that puffs up the Pharisee. I, I want to read something to you out of Isaiah chapter 51, and it's written in your notes. You can find it later. In verse 11 of 51, it says, And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Isn't that, isn't that an awesome picture? That one day, right, the, the image of heaven, the image of glory and joy in, in heaven. And then verse 12, it says this, Isaiah uh, confronts and, and says this, what the Lord says. said, I, I am the one who comforts you. God reminds us of that, right? I'm the one that comforts you. Who are you that you should fear men or a man who dies? What Isaiah is saying, that the Lord is saying to you and I is, who do you think you are to be afraid and timid and unqualified or inadequate? And the question he's asking is not so much, who do you think you are, as who do you think I am? I am the God who comforts you. I am the God who strengthens you. I will go before you with my mighty right hand. See, we, we are on a, a team Jesus, right? We're the family of Jesus. And for you and I to bear one another's burdens, we do so with confidence only in Jesus Christ. We have rested in Christ, and we have this massive confidence now in Christ alone. Don't let anyone's fall be a reason for your pride, but be instead an opportunity to struggle for joy because God is a God of comfort. The reason we fail in the church to obey the law of Christ is because we think we are something when we are nothing. And Jesus is everything. The, the final, the final uh, thing I want to read to you is, is uh, verse 14 uh, in Galatians 6. It says, but as for me, this is the idea of this boasting. It's like you can boast in yourself and you, your own work. Don't compare yourself to someone else. What, what he was, I, I believe, really sarcastically saying here was, yeah, go ahead and look at yourself. Stop looking and comparing with somebody else. Just get you by yourself and check out your own self because you have your own load to carry, right? What he was saying is we're all in the same boat. We're all unequally uh, or we're all, we're all equally unworthy, right, and morally bankrupt. 
And so what Paul says in verse 14, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me and, uh, and through the cross, or to me through the cross, and I to the world. Paul says the only thing I have to boast in is Jesus Christ. There's no comparing. We're all in Jesus Christ. And I want to boast in him in filthy rags made clean, that we would bear each other's burdens well for the glory of God. Our prayer, our prayer as we bear each other's burdens should be this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then we let God answer with his mercy and enable us to love each other well as we point each other to Jesus, who is the answer to every question and the solution to every problem, to every burden. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are a compassionate, loving, gracious God. That, God, we had the, the weight of our sin on our shoulders. And through Jesus Christ and the cross, you showed us mercy and invited us to, to place that burden on you that we would find rest for our souls. We boast in Christ alone. And God, as we are the family of God, help us to bear one another's burdens. To look up to the needs around us and respond. Whether it be a need because there's sin in someone's life or, or a need because the, the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Help us to respond, to pray, to interact, to support, to encourage, to plan. But God, ultimately help us wrestle for joy, that we would glorify you, loving others, and pointing people to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we close our service, it's our opportunity, of course, to respond to the heart of God and to what he